We talk about the difference at our place, you know, between work and labor. We have 22 sports at our school, and my guys are the only guys that pick up a shovel or a rake. They're the only guys that dig in dirt. They're the only ones that pull weeds. When I'm coaching this year, I'm always thinking about next year. If they feel like they're getting better, if they feel like they're going to get a chance to play, if they're doing something special and they're, they're different from other kids and you have a chance to win, I, I think you're going to get most of them in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club podcast. I'm your host, Max Price. I know in today's world, you have so many different options for what you can consume on a daily basis, things you can watch, experience, see on social media, and of course, listen to. And so just know that it means so much to me, and I know it means a lot to my guests as well, that you choose to spend some of your time listening to this podcast. I I try to bring you some of the best high school coaches in the country, and today, I know that I've done that. He's coached baseball for well over 30 years, started off as an assistant baseball coach at Tennessee Tech, became a scout for the Kansas City Royals. He's coached for USA Baseball for over 13 years, including winning a gold medal in Taiwan. And he's been the head baseball coach at Cookville High School down in Cookville, Tennessee for over 26 years. And so it's super exciting to welcome on Butch Chaffin. Butch is going to give us an introspective look into his baseball program there at Cookville High School, which has included 19 All-State players, five high school All-Americans, and 126 players that have gone on to play college baseball. In the conversation, he dishes out some advice for coaches with family, talks about the difference between work and labor, how he leverages high school athletics to improve student grades, why high school sports are so important in today's society, and in the end, I put his feet to the fire and ask him to explain what coaches of other sports might not fully understand or appreciate about those who coach baseball. I know I say this all the time, but once again, it's an awesome conversation. So please welcome on Butch Chaffin, head baseball coach at Cookville High School in Cookville, Tennessee. Butch, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. You're extremely well known in the baseball world, especially high school, but really all levels of baseball. I think there's there aren't many coaches that probably don't recognize your name, but there's a lot that you can bring, I think, to coaches of all sports kind of transcends baseball. And so a lot of our listeners might not know who you are. Can you kind of walk us through your career, maybe starting with playing days and then just kind of lead us into where you are now? Well, I appreciate the kind words. I don't know about that. I just... Uh... <laughs> I love the game, and I love coaches, and I love the philosophy behind coaching everything. Um, you know, I started out uh, as a player. I was a very average player. Uh, I knew that I wanted to become a coach probably in Little League and would bug my Little League coach about, you know, who should play where. And finally, he basically just told me to shut up and watch. And, uh, and one day, I kind of challenged him. I said, let me play in practice. And he was, here I am. I'm like 11. And I said, let me plan practice. So he said, all right, write it down. And I set it up and put us through about an hour and a half practice and never, never told anybody that I did it. Let him have all the credit. And he said, hey, just go ahead and keep doing that, would you? <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, went on, did the, the normal thing an average player would do, played high school, got cut my first year figured out, asked my coach what I need to do to get better, and he told me, and uh, went on, had a, a pretty good uh, a high school career, um, went to junior college, ended up, you know, I, it's just, you know, such a blessing because it seems like every school I went to, there was a plan. I, you know, I was a, a catcher, corner infielder in high school. I get to uh, junior college, um, 
we have an all-American catcher and an all-American first baseman. So the coach, I think he really appreciated, you know, my effort. I had never pitched before in my life. He, they turned me into like a sidearm pitcher. Um, just went crazy and had such a ball and learned all about pitching and then, you know, move on to Tennessee Tech, uh, four-year school and didn't play a lot, but played just enough. And uh, our head coach kind of put me in charge of the pitching, so I'd run all the drills. And uh, I, I knew I wanted to coach. And, you know, I went back to my high school and was an assistant coach for five years for my high school coach. And he kind of set it up and retired at Christmas. So they couldn't pick anybody but me. And I go into it and I'm a head coach, very young in high school and really wasn't ready. I didn't have any assistant coaches. I was by myself. These guys are like, you know, five years younger than I am. And, uh, I, I just wasn't ready. Uh, and so I was like, God, I got to figure out something. So I uh, called in a couple of favors, scouted with the Royals for three years, got an opportunity to coach at the D1 level for four years as an assistant. And they called me back and said, hey, do you want this high school job? And I could kind of see the writing on the wall for our college coach. And uh, I took the job and I've been back at Cookville High School ever since. Yeah, I was going to say, you've, you've been at a lot of different levels. And at this point in your career, you could probably make some phone calls and with your resume, you could probably find your way into a lot of different jobs that are quote unquote, you know, higher level than high school. Why do you think you have found yourself so in love with the high school level? I just, I, I, and, and, you know, uh, what you said is true. And I, you know, I get phone calls and I'm like, why, why would I do that? I, I love what I'm doing now. I just don't think high school coaches, you know, a lot of them, uh, they're always looking for their next big gig. And I love being a high school coach because I get 14-year-olds that come in here and they think baseball is hit, throw, catch, and there's so much more to it. And you can actually mold them and see the progress. And then four years later, you know, to see the growth and the maturity happen, uh, it's just special. And like I said, you know, I've been at the college level and, and I had so much fun. But you, you're going out trying to find really good players and maintain that and get them to produce. And the high school, I, I just wish more high school coaches would go, golly, I'm so lucky, lucky to be doing this at this level. And the impact you can have, um, it, it's just tremendous. And, you know, I wouldn't trade my experiences, good and bad, for anything. One of the big questions we kind of get is why are high school sports important right now with COVID and, you know, a lot of schools aren't even doing any in-person learning and stuff like that. And so if I find myself having to answer this question a lot, we're kind of fighting for time and our district recently kind of gave us the go ahead to, to, to have workouts. So we've been going at it for about a month now. But if someone kind of asks you why are high school sports so important right now, what would you tell them? Uh, you know, I just tell them this and gosh. You know, you work that uh, parent drop-off line in front of your school, and you can tell who was a team player and who wasn't, you know, who played sports. <laughs> That's and true. And, uh, you know, athletics at the high school level, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, what's the emphasis? It should be about education. Well, let me tell you something. My guys get educated at practice every day. And, you know, I don't, I don't see, I don't see, not to bag on any other kind of teacher, but I don't see non 
coaches in the hallway, uh, you know, coaching up uh, teamwork and, and ethics and things like that. And I just think that high school sports are so important. And you're seeing it right now. I really believe this. If it wasn't for college football, our country would still be shut down. And I, I know that we gave our kids the option and we, you know, we're the fifth largest high school in Tennessee and with 2,400 kids. And we started out and we had 50-50 probably, you know, 50% in the building and 50% going remote. And after about six weeks, those remote kids, they, you know, they were, they were coming back into the school and the kids they need that they want that they want to be they're social animals and they want to be around each other and they're willing to take a chance and that's right now that's what everything is it's a chance and if you ask 99% of coaches and 99% of athletes they're willing to take the chance and i i just think it's so important for their mental health um you know i know my guys that they're living to get to that locker room they're living to get in that weight room it's just like i said they're social animals and they want to be around each other and you know we talk about normal what's really hard to be normal when you're never leaving your house and you know i i enjoy being around my guys i think it's kept me young uh it's kept me motivated so i mean it's one of those things and i i've been saying it for years if you don't invest in youth sports and youth activities, you know, band and drama and everything that you need to build bigger jails because, you know, we're coaches, but we're also deputies and we're guidance counselors. So we're, we're a lot of things. And so I, I just think the impact that athletics, it's the fiber of America. And, you know, without it, uh, it hits very boring. It's very dull and it's also very dangerous. Yeah, you hit the mental health part, which is something I've noticed. So in Oregon right now, it's um, the the metrics are set up in a way where there's like very, very few schools that can even be in session right now in Oregon. And so pretty much all, all students are remote learning 100% of the time. And so we've been able kind of district by district are allowed to do uh, workouts for sports if they decide that, you know, they want to allow it. Like I said, ours, we're able to, we're a bigger school. Our district's a pretty big district. So we've been, we've been given the go ahead, but the mental health piece is huge. We had a, a kid and you don't get to see it when they're on Zoom calls. I mean, you can't, if a kid just doesn't turn his camera on or whatever, you're not going to notice it. But uh, when we started baseball workouts, there's one, one kid in particular who showed up and you could just see in his face, I hit hey, something's wrong. Right. And it's really easy to pull kid aside talk to him figure it out and get after it and like you said kind of be a counselor and I feel horrible for kids because if unless they're connected through sports right now at least in Oregon and a lot of states around the country right now uh, the mental health part is just it's awful it's really rough there's no doubt about it and I have kids in class that they're not involved in activities and you know you can see they want to be in school and I, I think that's another myth that most of our kids, they want to be in school. And it's just like my guys. My guys want to be coached. They want to be coached hard. Uh, and if they're not coached hard, they're like, hey, coach, did we do something wrong? Why, why aren't we <laughs> doing that? This? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and I think, you know, and, and I'm, I'm about over people bashing the youth of America because I see it every day. I see, I see kids who are heroes every day who strap that mask on and come to school and don't miss a day and – they maintain their grades and they're trying to survive and collect diplomas and uh, 
forge forward with their careers. And I talk to them about it all the time. And, you know, I, I just, we got to get through this. And I think we're in trouble when you have lawyers making medical decisions. Um, <laughs> everybody's, you know, we live in this Sioux society where, you know, if you mistreat me, I'm going to sue you and I'm going to take money out of your pocket and I'll show you how that hurts. And, you know, we just got to forge on. And I know it's a real thing and people are dying from it. I, I understand that. But just to sit around and wait for it to be over, I don't think it's the best course of action. Um, you know, and we have legislatures who are acting like, you know, they have a four-year term, so they're just not going to let anybody get hurt in four years. And these people, we, you know, people have lives, and you got to live your life. So uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll forge through this thing, and uh, they'll get this vaccine, and people believe in it, and we'll move on and get our guys healthy. Uh, I want to dive into uh, Cookville High School because I know it's obviously a really special place for you and for people who maybe aren't familiar with you. Can you just kind of give us a rundown on what Cookville High School is like and what makes it special? Well, um, about 30 years ago, they decided they want to build a new school. Our old school uh, was a 10 through 12, had about a thousand students. And at the time, that was one of the larger schools in the state of Tennessee. And so they say, hey, we're going to build a new school. Well, they thought about building two smaller schools. And I mean, this, this argument went forever. And they were arguing over school colors and nickname and uh, everything like that. Um, Mac Brown, who's the uh, football coach at the University of North Carolina, uh, his grandfather was the one that gave us our nickname, the Cavaliers. Uh, Mac Brown's from Cookville. And, you know, he's one of our... Uh, famous graduates, I guess you could say. And basically 30 years ago, they went, no, let's just build one school. So they built this monster school. Well, we're halfway between Nashville and Knoxville. And I, you know, I don't know if many people your way have been to Tennessee, but halfway between Nashville and Knoxville is basically woods. So we're this, (laughs) we're this oasis in between where everybody stops to eat because it's about exactly halfway. And we've got every restaurant, you know, on the planet right off the interstate. Uh, Interstate 40 goes right through the middle of our town. So we built this one big school out in the middle of no place. And we get what we get. We are a public school. And we're going to have a few good athletes walk through the door. But we're going to have a lot of kids that they try out for my team. And they just love to play baseball. They're little baseball players. And my guys know... I call them normal players, normal coach with normal players, because, you know, we, we got to work because we're going to have to compete with, uh, you know, some of these schools that I saw. I looked today, there's a school near us that had um, uh, nine D1 in junior college guys signed just in baseball. And we're going to have to compete with that. We're going to have to figure out how to how to beat those guys. So, you know, that's kind of our story. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a town where, uh, a kid in class, he may not have two nickels to rub together and he's sitting next to a kid that drives, you know, a $60,000 pickup truck. So we have every socioeconomic level. We have, uh, every kind of kid you could possibly have. Um, it, it's just a really neat, it's a really neat place to be. One of the 
terms that a lot of people are familiar with if they know you and they know Cookville baseball is the term credo. What does that mean? Well, you know, we I did the thing when I was a young coach where we'd have really cool sayings and I started realizing that I looked over in that pile of shirts and I had 15 shirts with 15 <laughs> different sayings on the back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had, we were going through a spell, which a lot of coaches go through. We were going through where we'd be pretty good one year. And then my guys, my seniors would graduate and the next year we wouldn't be so good. And then the next year we'd be okay. And then we'd be good. And then we wouldn't be good. And I just got tired of the inconsistencies of it all. And it happened to be honest it only happened about 10 years ago. And I was sat down one summer and I was like, all right, we're, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to, I'm going to get a little bit better at what I'm doing and I'm going to figure out how, how to maintain that consistency. So my first order of business was to find something we could hang our hat on. And I said, we're going to, I'm going to find something that we're not changing it. It's going to be a constant in our program. So uh, I find this Latin word, and it means basically, you know, a credo, a creed is a system or a statement of beliefs. And I said, okay, that's it. It just fit perfect. So we're going we're gonna to believe in our system. We're going to believe in each other. We're going to believe in the players. Players are going to believe in the coaches. We're going to believe in God. We're going to do, I mean, we're just going to, we're going to be all in on how we do things. And we kind of, I, and I say we, I'm me, um, I retooled, I retooled, you know, how we practiced. I retooled, uh, how I taught, I, I retooled pretty much everything in the program. And I mean, you know, Max, I'm telling you, uh, I, I was working 15, 16 hour days where all I did was read, write, talk to guys, make phone calls, make trips watch, sit down, beg a meeting. And I put this thing together. And since about 2011, 2012, we started finding the consistency. And I'm really happy where we're at. And to this day, every shirt we have printed, it's got Credo someplace on it. It's on the side of our locker room. It's on the back of our hats. We have stickers that go on the back of the helmet. We break down every practice with that one word. We don't say, hey, finish or win or any... We just say credo. Every time they break it down, it's credo. And it's kind of that go-to that we can hang our hat on and come back for it. And I'm really surprised. You know, I, I thought I thought my guys would find it really corny, you know, to have that. And what I found out is, man, once they believe it, it's there forever. And it's, it's kind of boring because you'll go, okay, what does Cavalier baseball mean to you? And they'll put it in the program and all the seniors just, they put credo. And, you know, if you don't know what it means, like if somebody goes, Hey, what's that mean? I, I usually go Google it, you know, cause you'll remember it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's been our constant. It's weird counting the COVID year, but I guess I'm in my fifth year as the head coach where I am at South Salem High School. And I find myself going through the same thing where I'm like, all right, we've got, we've whittled it down out of five sayings or five, you know, mantras or whatever. Right. I'm like, oh God, okay, so <laughs> what can I do to get this thing smaller? Because like you're just saying, it's, I can't put, I can't keep printing out all these different t-shirts with all these different things on them and try to expect players to remember every single one of them and what they mean and why that's part of our program. And it's all, it is all part of this idea of trying to 
build culture. That's the big buzzword these days, but uh, try to create something that's our own that we can live by. And credo is a good one. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll have former players come back and we, I kind of have a thing that if you played for me, you know, that dugout's yours. So if you played for me 20 years ago, you're more than welcome to walk in that dugout in the middle of a game, a practice, whatever. It's your park. And so we'll be in the middle of games. And, you know, when we play like a district rival, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be kind of leaning against the wall, trying to be unassuming and taking notes and watching the game. And I'll look down and there'll be 10 guys with jeans and boots and a flannel shirt on down at the other end of the dugout, just waiting for me to lose my cool. And I, you know, during the game, I'll walk down there and go, what's up fellas. And they'll just go credo. I mean, I mean, it's one of those things uh, that I didn't, a side effect was, you know, it kind of hooks all the different generations of players together. So I, I thought that was really cool. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a really cool way to pull things together. It's one of the neat things about your program is is Credo. I see it all the time on Twitter. Uh, now that you have the new Twitter handle after your last one was yeah, lost I, to time. <laughs> I, that, I had a guy contact me, direct message. He goes, I think I can retrieve it for you. And I went, no, nah, I'm already... I'm already too far down this road. I'm I'm gonna hang with this new one. So that's funny because I you're you're pretty constant on Twitter and uh, you're a guy who responds like instantly to pretty much anybody. And I reached out like in the middle of October, like, hey, you know, I just DM'd you. You want to be on the show? And nothing, crickets. <laughs> like, I know. What the heck? Do, have I have I pissed him off? Did I do something I didn't know about? <laughs> and then yeah, a week ago, all of a sudden, there's a new Butch Chaffin account. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> One guy said, I thought you died, man. I was trying to find an obituary, and I was like, no, nah, not yet. I'm still-, <laughs> still going. Well, you mentioned the the difference in you know going from a lot of sayings down to credo. What, what, can you take us through maybe some of the bigger changes you've made as a coach just throughout time, maybe where you were as a younger coach versus where you are now? When I was young, my mom, my dad was overseas. He you know, was a military guy, and then he was a petroleum engineer, so he's in the Middle East, and uh, he's always out of the country and he probably 10 months out of the year. My dad didn't see me play in a baseball game until I was a sophomore in college. And my mom, who my mother, she's still alive, 90 years old, has Alzheimer's and just a happy, happy little woman. Uh, but she knew early on, I've got two sisters. So it was three women and a little boy in the house. And she knew that she had to put male figures in my life since my dad, you know, he, he was, providing for us um she knew that she had to put male figures in the house so uh she didn't have any idea if i could play or not and really didn't care but she wanted me at practice she wanted me at games and she wanted somebody to coach me hard and that's the first time i heard that and she dropped me off you know my first little league team you go try out and uh she dropped me off with the coach and she, we walked up to the coach and I heard, I heard her kind of lay out the story in about 30 seconds. And she said, coach him and coach him hard, teach him how to be a man. And just left me there and drove away. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> did she just give me away? I'm not sure what happened. right there. But, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you, you start, you get into it and you have so many, like so many of my players come from so many different backgrounds. And, you know, you have to kind of pull them all together. And I think that's, that's the puzzle that we as coaches, we look at every year. I, I believe this. I believe some guys love to coach and some guys uh, love to be called coach. 
And those guys that are love to be called coach, they don't, they don't hang out for very long. And the guys that, you know, love their players up. And, and I say that my guys, you know, the hardest coaching move I have to make is to teach a 14 year old freshman. When I say, I love you, you know, to get them to say it back. And it usually takes a while. And I, you know, I don't demand it. Say it. I don't do that. But, <laughs> um, those seniors, you know, this is the hardest part about this COVID thing is mm-hmm. my players and I were very physical with each other. There's a lot of high fives in the hallway and at practice and hugging and loving you and stuff like that. And I just think it's really cool that, you know, <laughs> I got about 99% of my team. If they got in a fight with somebody, they'd tear them up. And at the same time, uh, it, it's not any less masculine for them to say, love you, coach. See you tomorrow. And, you know, that that's to me, that's what it's all about. It's so funny. I tweeted that out maybe a month ago. And I said, because we had just started workouts back up. And I said, man, I, I did not realize how physical I am with my players, just hugging them and high fiving them and fist bumping them and giving hugs out after practice. Like we just hug each other after practice. Everybody hugs each other. I don't know how it started or why. And I was like, man, now that that's gone and we just kind of, it's like, okay, waving by. It's just, it's so weird. Yeah. And, so weird. And, you know, we call it the power of touch uh, before we go stretch. Uh, they all get in a single file line and the front guy peels off and the second guy follows him and they just go down the line and they high five each other. And I've got a really cool picture here in my office that um, it's the dugout. It's like a shot from across the field. And in the dugout, everybody is connected. They like have hands on each other's shoulders. They're all connected and they're into the game. And you can tell it's an intense moment in the game, but they're all connected because we talk about the power of touch, you know, uh, linked together, band up, you know, there's, there's strength there. And it's, it's just a really, really important part of our game. And I, I've been amazed. They've found ways uh, to still connect with each other. Uh, you know, the elbow dap or they'll touch feet, but you can still see them fighting through to kind of connect to each other. Yeah, it's funny. I you mentioned the the you know fourteen year old freshman kids. We have some right now. You know, I haven't because our last year of youth baseball kind of got canceled this past spring as the eighth graders, who I usually would see quite a bit. And so now we have some freshmen in the program this year, and you could see those first few times as like seniors or or juniors or whoever or me would like tell a player I love you. They'd kind of have this look of like, what that we're men though. Like we don't yeah. <laughs> we don't say that to each other. And I'm like, no, that's that's exactly what we do because we're man enough to say it, right? Right. Absolutely. It's it's, it's a weird lesson for young, maybe immature 14 year olds coming into a program to to learn that it's okay to say I love you to another dude. Like it's awesome. You know, and I was that coach and I didn't believe uh, you know, I'd be like teamwork, work ethic. And I really never believed in chemistry. And then I had a team that their chemistry, I've never seen anything like it. These kids weren't blood brothers, but if you saw one, you saw seven of them. And it was like a gang. And, you know, we had a teacher in my school go, your team's like a gang. And I went, I know, isn't it cool? You know, that they're always together. They enjoy, they do stuff uh, always together. And, you know, if you can get your team, uh, I'm always looking at the chemistry of my team, who hangs out with who. Uh, and it, it's just, it's kind of cool that um, you get to go through high school for four years. And 
uh, one of our big rules is, you know, I do not allow my players to cannibalize each other. I, I seniors don't yell at freshmen. Uh, you know, they, they, there's no hazing. If you haze at my place, you're automatically gone. I don't care who you are. So because of that, the freshmen, they come in and they're scared anyway. And we explain it, you know, to our older guys every year, they're scared. Remember you were scared and they're terrified. They're in a locker room for the first time, really, you know, in their life. And, um, they're dressing next to guys that, you know, have facial hair and everything like that. And they're scared to death. And my guys do an unbelievable job of big brother and guys. And I tell them, you know, you're like the big brother. You encourage, uh, you know, somebody needs to yell at somebody. Uh, that's what we're for. That's what I'm for. Uh, and trust me, you know, I'm very good at getting after somebody if they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so, you know, that I think that's, that's also helped. We absolutely, we don't cannibalize each other. We mentioned chemistry and who's hanging out with who. Do you, uh, like when you guys have practice or workouts or anything like that, do you find yourself creating the groups and trying to make sure that you're getting kids in with kids that they haven't grouped with before? Is it something that your guys kind of do naturally at this point? Well, uh, you know, I think the one place where I really, I emphasize it is when they uh, do their arm care and their throwing. Uh, we pretty much demand that they throw with somebody different every day in our program. Um, we, when we do our fall throwing and our winter throwing, we're really trying to build arm strength. Cause I think, you know, in my opinion, I think that the hardest thing to do in all of sport is build arm strength. You know, I think, uh, if you hit enough, you can become a hitter, but if you're not throwing a lot, uh, your arm's never going to have the arm strength. And we've been very lucky. I haven't, we haven't had anything outside of normal uh, arm problems, you know, soreness, stiffness, that kind of stuff. But we haven't had major surgeries or anything. And we throw on a football field and it's marked off. And I mean, we really get after it. And I've got some kids that they, they can throw the ball a long way and they can throw it flat really hard when they need to. And so we switch our throwing partners up pretty much every time we do it. And you'll have a freshman throwing with the senior. I, my shortstop, he just committed to Rice in Houston. Nice. In Houston. And, you know, this is a kid uh, two days ago, you know, he threw a baseball, no hop. He threw it in the air 135 yards. And he's playing catch with a freshman. And one of the assistant coaches <laughs> is like, 70 yards out acting as a cutoff man, but it's forcing that freshman to stretch it out. So uh, there's growth there. And that's, you know, we're trying to develop it every day's development. Every day we're looking for growth. And so, yeah, um, my, my developmental team, which a lot of people call a JV, but I want to hang a special title on them. Uh, about 90% of the varsity practices involve those guys. They're doing something. If we're taking BP, uh, there are many times when, you know, we're taking batting practice. We have offensive stations. We got some bunting going on. All the varsity guys are on offense, and that's when a lot of the developmental guys are getting their defensive reps in off the bat. And you know, we'll blend, and we do that a lot, and we involve them in a lot of the team drills and uh, all of the individual drills. And there'll be times when, hey, we're going into something that uh, only the varsity guys need to work on. And they'll go, you know, over to the indoor and the cages and they'll take their BP indoors. And 
but we try to blend with them as much as we possibly can. Well, at the American Baseball Coaches Association National Convention, which is this just massive undertaking uh, every year, uh, you spoke this past year, and one of the things you talked about was developing the entire roster, which kind of goes along with what you just said. You, I, if I remember off the top of my head, you said some things about uh, players need to have hope. They need to feel like they're part of something right. special. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I, you know, I hear guys go, hey, you know, all in. Well, my team's all in. No, they're not. I mean – it, it, we all have the same problems as high school coaches. You and I have the same problems. Uh, I think it's how we how we solve those problems that separates us all. And yeah, I, I just think you know if you can get most of your guys in, you know, believing in what you're doing, I, I think that's success. And uh, I think kids, if they feel like they're getting better, if they feel like they're going to get a chance to play. Uh, if they're doing something special and they're they're different from other kids, and you know the, you win, you have a chance to win. I, I think you're going to get most of them in. But all those things that I mentioned, uh, it's about hope, and we talked about it today in my locker room. Um, you know, I don't put a player on the team unless I think he's going to be you know a quality helper and and some way. Uh, now it's up to the player to find their value. If they just sit around and wait for you to coach them and magical things happen, that's probably not going to happen. So, you know, uh, I've got a kid now that we kept him. He he was kind of a, a skinnier uh, kid, and he had a little arm strength, and we dropped him down to the side. And that guy, you know, through our arm care program, he's, you know, a drop-down sidearm guy who's probably 82, 83 that can make it sink. And, he can get a ground ball whenever he wants, and he's probably going to close a lot of games for us. And that's a kid that came to us, and you really had to squint your eyes to see the tools. And we tried to do a lot of a lot of background work on kids, you know, when they come to us. And we found out that this kid's mom, uh, she's Greek. She grew up in Canada, and she actually participated in the Olympics. And so his mom's an Olympian. So there's a little genetic link there, and uh, you know there, you got to give them hope. And guys will roll into our place, and they'll have 35 guys in the dugout, and they play the same nine guys over and over. Uh-huh. And I, I just think that's criminal. If I have 21 guys on my varsity roster, I'm trying to get 20 in, and 21 throwing tomorrow. You know, I, I'm using pinch runners and courtesy runners and defensive replacements and. You know, I got a couple guys in Tennessee that don't like playing me because it's going to be a two and a half, three hour game because I'm going to use six arms in a seven inning game sometimes. You're going to go out there to the umpire uh, 19 times. I, <laughs> they, uh, the umpires hate me because uh, two years ago I used four pitchers to get three outs in the fifth inning. And they were like, what are you doing? I was like, trying to get them in, man. Trying to get them in. <laughs> You'll be the reason that the uh, three batter minimum rule comes to high school sports. Exactly. Those umpires are yelling just – you don't have to come all the way out here. Just yell it. What number have you got? <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. But it's true. I mean, I, I struggled with that my first my first year I took over as a head coach. I don't think anybody's ever ready to be a head coach. I don't think you ever know what you're getting into. But my my first year especially, we went, you know, the whole season. We we carry in Oregon's usually smaller rosters. So we're we're usually around fourteen to fifteen guys uh, on each team, but 
my my first year we I think we went like 14 and 11 it's not like we were this <laughs> juggernaut team right. anyway but I mean I played pretty much the same nine guys uh, every day and maybe maybe a tenth guy but essentially there were two or three kids that just sat there and watched and you know day in and day out and I wasn't very good at talking to them and checking in with them and making sure things were good and they were good and uh, I just it kills me to think that I'm sure those three guys, if you ask them today, like, hey, how, how was your experience at, at South Sound High School, your senior year, at least they wouldn't have very good things to say. Well, and I think that, again, that's everywhere. And I look back how I used to coach and I'm like embarrassed. I'm ashamed that uh, those guys on the bench that didn't get in a lot, I, I dodged them, you know, and and I didn't want to talk to them because I knew they wanted to get in. And now I probably talk to the guys on the bench and the backups and future players. I probably talk to them more than the starters. And I just, I just think, I just think if I keep you and you find value, you know, I'm going to get you in the game. Um, like I said, we have 21 guys and uh, 13 of them are arms and I'm going to use all 13 of those arms this year. Um, I don't think, you know, we played 35 games and I've never had, I've never had, a kid throw more than 65 innings for me. And I, again, that might be why, you know, we don't have a lot of arm injuries, but uh, I'm the guy that created the pitch count for the state of Tennessee. And, you know, I know the rules inside and out and I know how to get kids in and I know what matchups look like. I know when a kid, he's not going to hit that guy on the mound, um, you know, but I can find another way for him to get experience. And, Something I've kept in the back of my mind for a long, long time is when I'm coaching this year, I'm always thinking about next year. So, you know, my assistant coaches, I've mentioned this before, that my assistant coaches hate me because we'll be up eight to nothing and I'll put a kid on the mound and put a new third baseman in and we end up winning the game, you know, like 10 to seven or something like that. But I got those guys some experience that I don't have to worry about Oh, they've never been on the field before. You know, my assistant coaches are like, good Lord, let's run roll them so we can go eat. And, you know, I, I just think uh, that's where you find that consistency. And that's where the development piece comes in. I really hate it when I can't get guys in because I know who works hard in practice. And if you work hard in practice and you get after it in that weight room and you're spending extra time and you're coming to early hit and, you know, at halftime of football games, my guys – the our our indoor is like right next to the football field and you'll see guys they'll have theme nights where <laughs> oh, God. They'll, they'll, they'll be like blackout night and they got black shorts and black t-shirts and they'll go in there and hit and uh so i mean if they're taking advantage of every opportunity i give them i, I gotta have the courage to put them in and coaches would be surprised that kid that in your professional mind you don't think can do it Sometimes you put him in and good things happen and they get confidence. And now all of a sudden you got all kinds, all kinds of depth. And, you know, you're only as good as your bench. I really believe that in high school because you're one injury away from disaster. Because I've been there where you put it all on one kid and he gets hurt. And now what do you do? And so I think development is nonstop. It happens from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed. There's, there's an opportunity for development. 
Yeah, we had in um, in 2018 and 2019, we made it to the, we played in the state semifinals and lost in extra innings both times on walk-off singles. It was super heartbreaking. But the, the 2019 year, we had a, a roster with some, some dudes in it. And I remember right afterwards, I got, there's a reporter there, a young guy who from the, the newspaper at the place that we lost at kind of town. And he asked me like, so you guys are going to be real, you know, rebuilding next year. So what does that look like for you? I was like, we're not, there's no such thing, man. It's high school sports. Like we're just, we just keep on going. It's just, you're just developing every year and year after year after year. And if you do it right and you have a decent culture, maybe you win some games along the way. Boy, you just nailed that. You absolutely just nailed that. If you use the word, if you use that R word in front of a high school kid, uh, oh, it's horrible. Uh, it, it breaks their heart. And I tell you what, if you use that R word in front of a high school kid's parent, you're not going to be coaching there for long. Um, I, I I think when I hear coaches say rebuild, uh, they use it as a crutch, an excuse. Mm-hmm. And we're going to roll the dice. And if things go south and we're not ready, it's my fault. And, you know, because we're trying to do everything we can from every possible angle to, uh, to let kids have success and you know we've been to the state tournament and all that stuff. it's really we have a hard road to go and you know the the sheffield sheffield that pitches for the mariners uh Justice sheffield. yeah we we went through him we had to go through his brother we have had to go through sunny gray uh <laughs> david price was in our district struck us out 21 times and we won the game one to nothing so, <laughs> okay you found a way absolutely and so i mean you got to find a way you can't just your kids will surprise you. I I know there's one game that sticks out from about 10 years ago. And we played this team that was at the time, I think they were 31 and Oh, they were ranked number two in the country. And I was like, good gosh, how, how we don't have a chance. And then I started thinking, what's our only shot. And our only shot was I had to find our best dumbest guy to throw against them. And we put this kid on the mound and he absolutely dealt and they kept throwing us straight fastballs and we just kept just roping them. And we absolutely worked him that game and come to find out before the game, right as the bus was rolling in, uh, their mower, uh, this is funny. Their mower, uh, leaked, uh, hydraulic fluid on the infield and the coach was so, out of it during the game because he was so angry that his infield was going to die. You know, he, he didn't counter and you as a coach, that's basically what we do. You know, you make a move, I counter your move. And if, if I can get you to counter a whole bunch of my moves, I probably have the advantage. And, you know, I kept thinking, golly, why is he not bunning right here? And he called me after the game and he was like, I, I lost that game for us. I was so mentally out of it. I, I was so mad. I couldn't even, coach the game and you know that taught me a valuable lesson about you know just that get you to counter me don't wait don't wait uh to counter you but get you to counter me a lot so yeah we had some decent teams and i remember going up against uh, a team that we should have probably beaten pretty easily and they tossed the thumber out there and just dominated us and we never as hitters at least we never really made an adjustment right. and we just got destroyed by this team throwing this this thumber out there that just tossed you know probably 65 mile an hour curveballs at us the whole game and we walked off the field and we're like what the hell just happened yeah yeah and i've always admired the coach that 
in the big game, he puts that guy out there. You know, he, he believes in him that much. Uh, I just think, you know, that guy's got courage, and I really admire that. Yeah, we had one a couple years ago. In fact, we played a team in Oregon, Forest Grove. They they they, they were kind of having a struggle of a year, and we were we were doing pretty good, and shouldn't have, shouldn't even have been really competitive game on paper. And before the game, I'm talking to their coach, and he's like, "Yeah, we brought up a couple of our kids from our JV team to throw today because we're gonna kind of kind of save our save our guys for next Monday in a game we think we can win." I'm like, that's a weird thing to say to yeah. the other coach at the start. And then sure enough, their guys for six innings, we didn't score a run. And then we got, or maybe five innings. And then we got bailed out by one of our kind of University of Oregon commits who hit, a, I think, a two-run home run. And we ended up winning, I think, three to one or something like that. But it's true, man. If you can, if you have courage in your guys and you just, you're unwavering in it and you just give them a chance, a lot of high school kids are going to just surprise the hell out of you. Absolutely. And, you know, I uh, I thought about this. I haven't really said it out loud but and i know a lot of coaches are like that like that game you just talked about you won that game but you walked away angry you walked away yeah. like we're better than well, this but yeah you know and i like i like playing good teams uh more than i do that team that you're gonna have to be i get really uptight a team rolls in that mm-hmm. we're supposed to just absolutely dominate i get uptight you know not nervous or anxious or anything but let's go, let's put them away. And, you know, your team's just sleepwalking sometimes and you're trying to wake them up. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, why are we sleepwalking? I didn't, you know, I didn't get them ready for this, you know? And so I like, I like playing that team that's supposed to hammer us because uh, that's the battle to me. We got to take advantage of every opportunity and uh, everybody's in it and everybody's awake. And if they're believing, you know, and I'm, I'm surprised by the power of dumb. Sometimes you just got to be dumb enough to think you can do stuff. And, uh, you know, so we talk about that. Hey, just play play against the game. Don't play against the other guy. Just be dumb enough to do great things. That's true. I want to go back to something you said. It was a long time ago. Uh, but you said that you you got cut in high school. I think you said it was your freshman year. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we were 10 through 12. So it was my sophomore year. I only your got, sophomore year. Okay. I played two uh, I, I just kind of wanted to ask you, you have that in your your back pocket as a coach now that you were cut. You kind of know how it feels. How has that, or I guess I should say, has that experience kind of affected how you go about uh, making your teams nowadays, um, maybe how you cut kids if you ever have to? Well, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And I understand why I got cut. I wasn't very good. And I didn't know what to be good at. You know, I had played in uh, little league and rec league. And, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know what they needed. I didn't know what they wanted. And I made a crucial mistake, uh, when we had tryouts and we did, you know, in and out, uh, I ran to where there were the fewest people and I was the worst one at that position. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, there's only two left fielders. I'll go stand out there. Surely I'm better than those two guys. And, I got cut and I went to the coach and I went, Hey, I went to left field and I'm, I never played in the outfield. And he goes, yeah, it showed. That's why I cut you, you know, try it again next year, get better and try it again. And so I did with that in mind, I also know that I'm not going to hold a kid hostage for four years. And, you know, I, I, I've got cut stories left and right. It's the worst part of the job. And I think a lot of coaches will say it's the worst part of the job because after you make the cut, you just wait for emails and phone calls. Um, but if I cut a kid, you know, it's, 
you come see me and I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. And believe it or not, several years ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago, I cut a kid. He was a bigger kid. He had some, he was a bad body, big kid. Not, not like he was a tall, bad body kid and he couldn't run and he couldn't throw. And I cut him and he came to me, did everything right. I never heard from the mom and dad. And the kid came to me and he said, I love baseball and I want to play baseball. And I was like, okay. You know, and he caught me at a good moment. I said, okay, well, what are you willing to do? And he goes, I'm willing to do whatever you tell me. And I don't know why, but I said, all right, uh, you're not on the team, but I'm going to let you work out with us. And he threw batting practice. And because he threw so much batting practice, he developed some arm strength. We let him kick around in the weight room and uh, he switched his diet up. And long story short, we cut him as a freshman. He made the team as a sophomore. And his senior year, he hit 520 with six bombs, 48 RBIs, was our four hole hitter and was the captain of our team. And he went first to third better than anybody I've had. And he still can't run, but he just made himself into a good base runner. And you know, he, he turned out to be an incredible player on a, on a team that went 34 and two and was a leader of that team and played just an unbelievable first base. And so I always keep that kid in mind. And we have a wall in our locker room, uh, like a table and a wall. And we put, you know, our little plaques and trophies, but also every time a kid on my team makes all state, I put his picture in a frame and I put it up there and put what year and all that. And we've had five All-Americans, and um, every now and then I'll just walk over. We always meet as a team before we go to a workout or a practice. We'll meet, and we go over what we're going to do. And I'll, every now and then I'll grab one of those pictures because every one of those guys has a story. And, you know, they've all got a story. They've all endured hardship. They've all worked their butts off to get to where they, you know, were in that frame. And it's really cool because – the other day we passed out index cards and we'll ask them questions every now and then. Cause I just, I'm trying to find out what's in their head. And I said, write down what motivates you. And one of the freshmen put all he put on his card and he's going to be a good player. Uh, all he put was, I want my picture on that wall. Hmm. And I thought, man, that's, that might be the best answer we've ever had. What a mature thing to say. This kid as a 14-year-old is working to get on that wall four years from now. And he's done everything we've asked. And we have a really good freshman class. And, uh, you know, I just thought that was really cool that here it is, you know, and, and like I said, about 10 years ago, I got in on this culture thing. And I said, I'm going to build this thing. And we're it's going to be solid. And it's going to have some cornerstones that, you know, we're going to, we're going to demand focus from our players. We're going to pay attention to detail. We're going to be uncommon. We're going to demand like nobody's ever demanded. And, you know, every, every team, every high school has kids that make the team and then go this in for me and quit. And golly, if one quits, it seems like two quit and then another one quits. And we went through about a week where it was really, it was getting really easy for some guys to quit. And I, I had, like five quit in a week. And I looked at the coaches and I went, are we making this too hard? And every one of the coaches said, 
if you change anything where we are right now, if you change anything, I quit. And the other assistant said, coach, I love you, but I'm quitting if you change anything. So I said, all right, we're going with what we got. And I'll never forget that last kid quit. And I walked out and I said, is anybody else quitting? Because now's your opportunity. This is the deadline. And nobody said anything. And I said, all right, everybody that stays, you're going to win championships and you're going to come out the other side. And this is going to be the greatest experience of your life. And, you know, we gear our dudes up. We search the internet for specials and we go way out of the way. And I meet with a graphics guy and we design all our gear. So it's the best gear anybody's ever seen. And uh, we'll, we'll sell hams and have car washes and we get good gear and we have the same shoes and we buy them turf shoes. And our locker room is on par with any college locker room in the country. And, you know, uh, we treat them like they're uncommon because they are. And we met today and we got some kids that uh, we were one of those, you know, 100 schools, ABCA, you know, academic team. And we, there were only four in Tennessee and we were one of them. And I said, by golly, we're going to do better than we did last year. So whereas a lot of coaches are probably saying, hey, pass your classes. Uh, we're at the point now to we're like, hey, these D's will be C's, you know, and these C's will be B's. And if you and I got kids in, you know, advanced placement classes and honors classes. And they're like, coach, I'm in calculus and I don't know if I can make that B and A. And I said, well, by golly, you're going to try, you know, so we get after it from every angle we possibly can and you know it comes back to and I, I thought this was so corny the first time I heard it uh, you know culture and culture can be your best assistant coach if you if you have it set up right it's true I think it can be I think it all kind of ties back into what we talked about earlier about some of the things that high school sports do for kids it, it kind of the great part of it is, is maybe a simple thing but it is an important thing where we're we're one more one more ticket to help kids kind of pay attention and 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 push themselves academically that maybe kids who aren't involved in sports or band or music or anything like that maybe they don't have that same kind of extra push in their life day in and day out that that athletes and musicians and whatnot get in high school oh i know they don't you know and i'm not ragging on anybody at our school but i know that there's no other program in our school that gets after their you know, players grades the way that we do, because, and, and we talk about it all the time, you know, even them making good grade, it's a competition. You're learning how to compete. You're learning how to sit down at the kitchen table and do your stats homework. And it's about a competition and we're counting on you. You got to score and you got to score big. And, uh, I didn't realize this, they were talking about it today. Uh, they're competing like for ACT scores and, they're just, you know, we're trying to teach them to compete in every phase of their life. And I had a kid tell me uh, last spring we got to play five games, you know, before they shut us down. Uh, we're going to a game and we're on the bus and we're just kind of chatting it up. And, you know, I, I think one of the, my proudest moments is my guys have a healthy respect for me. They know I can, like, lose my mind at any moment. But at the same time, uh, they feel like they can talk to me. I know my high school coach, I was captain of the team and I was scared to death of him. And, you know, I want him to know that I can get that look in my eye and go serial killer on him. But at the same time, uh, you know, I want him to be able to talk to me. And a kid told me last year on the bus, he goes, coach, you care about my grades more than my parents do. 
Uh, my parents have made a comment. Why is your coach so concerned with your grade? And, you know, I was like, oh, right, really? And in my head, I was like, that's disgusting. You know, that <laughs> their coach doesn't want them to pass. He wants them to make A's and excel. And the parents, they didn't understand why I pushed them so hard in the classroom. And so, I mean, you know, we are that surrogate parent that sometimes, you know, kids, kids want, like I said, they want to be coached hard. They want to be pushed. And what I found is if you demand and you set your culture up and you set your expectations up and uh, put your standards out there, kids love that. My guys love the fact their coach holds them accountable. And I've heard other athletes that I have in class say, God, I wish our coaches did stuff like that. That's cool. You know, and in, and in turn, we did the other day, we weeded our warning track. You know, whoever did the best job, whichever team did the best job weeding the warning track, you know, they get pizza on Friday. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're competing. We're trying to teach them to compete everything we do. Competing is in, I know a lot of people like to shy away from it and try to say that life isn't a competition. We have uh, one of our assistant coaches, Matt Doyle. He's a military veteran. He's, he may, he may not have the best baseball knowledge in the world, but gosh dang, he's going to hold kids accountable. And he's probably been one of the best influences that we have in our program on kids. Uh, but one of the things that he pushes on kids is that I, I don't care what anybody says. Life is a competition. Everything you're doing is a competition. Most of it's you competing against yourself to be better. But I think holding kids accountable to that is something that they thrive on and they absolutely love. And I feel really bad for kids who don't have that in their life because having somebody teach you to compete, even if it's just against yourself every single day, is such a valuable lesson. Like it's so important for kids. Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt. And I would highly recommend, you know, if you want want another assistant coach, you know, find a guy that was military, find the local recruiter to come to your practice once or twice and just let cut him loose. Uh, what a valuable resource, you know, that you have there in an assistant coach that that has been through it for real and can pass that along. That's outstanding. Yeah, it really is. It's been awesome. Uh, I think you might have hit on it, which might be the answer to this question might be field work, but what do you think that coaches of other sports might not understand about what it's like to coach baseball? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you got another hour. Uh, <laughs> no you know, uh, I hate to bag on my own school, but like our soccer coach hasn't mowed the soccer field in gosh, ever. Uh, and I'll see parents out there mowing it. And I'm like, what is going on? But, um, we have 22 sports at our school, and my guys are the only guys that pick up a shovel or a rake. They're the only guys that dig in dirt. They're the only guys that uh, they know how to run that paint machine down the lines. They're the only ones that pull weeds. And I'll see other teams, and they'll have, like, work days where parents come out and do all the work. And we talk about the difference at our place, you know, between work and labor. Uh, my guys will go in a weight room all day and work at weights. Uh, but labor, you know, I said, how many of you have ever mowed a yard? And, you know, 95% of them say, I, you know, I, I've mowed a yard. I mow my yard. And I'm like, yeah, but you climb on a $10,000 John Deere and mow your yard. How many of you have ever walked behind a push mower? None of them. None of them. The push mower, it's a thing of the past. So we do this like push mower challenge. Uh, mow your yard, mow your neighbor's yard. It's a great workout. And I've got about you know, an acre and a half of land and I push mow the whole thing and I'll, I'll mow the front one day and then I'll mow the half the back the next and the other half the next. But 
I've had some of my greatest thinking uh, while I'm mowing to the point to where I keep a pad on the back porch and I'll just shut the mower off and go write something down and go back and start it up. But yeah, I, I think, I think that's huge. And, you know, every time I see the basketball coaches pull into the gym, I'm just like cursing them under my breath about, you know, if, if you had to mow a basketball court and put down the lines every time, every day, every time before a game, I just wonder how, how many of them would be basketball coaches. <laughs> That's so funny. We uh, at our in our district, uh, at least at our, at our school, we have the turf football field for games. But then they also have uh, kind of a second football field. It's a grass field. Obviously, there's three teams and practices and soccer as well. So they can't obviously just use one field all the time. So uh, but I, I always chuckle to myself because during football season, I'll see guys that work for the school district, not even for our own high school. And they're down there painting the lines on the practice football field. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my well, gosh, like, yeah. I, I will never see a district guy in our field painting lines. Are you kidding me? We just uh, we just got a turf football field. But our football coach has been coaching football forever. And, you know. We we kind of have this common bond. We'll be out there in the summer, and we're the only ones on campus. And I'm working on my field, and he's you know weeding, eating, doing something like that. And he goes, "Can you believe as old as we are, we're the ones that still have to do this?" He got turf, and I I told him the other day, I said, "Yeah, you got turf now. You're getting lazy." And he goes, "You use that turf whenever you want." So we be, we we will go out there and wear it out, you know. So. It makes a big difference. We have, uh, I've always at all the high schools, I, I, well, I guess I've only coached it too, but we've had turf football fields and we're able to use it during the, you know, rainy seasons and stuff. And it makes a huge difference having access to it. And I know around here, turf baseball fields are becoming more and more common and there's a level of jealousy in me, but then deep down, there's also a level of like, I think it's really important to not have one. Yeah. As, and if, trust me, if we had a chance to get one, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But deep down, I'm like, there's just something special about high school kids learning to take care of something that is presented every time they're on the field. Absolutely. Uh, everybody Absolutely. who comes to our park, they're going to see our park and you're going to know, they might not realize it, but you're going to know that you're the one who did that. You're the one who made it look that way. One of the best moments I think I've ever had as a coach was, I think it was this past spring before COVID hit and shut everything down. It was maybe a Sunday and I got a, a message from one of my seniors, Grayson Hanawell, who uh, one of our, our senior catcher, just an absolute stud of a man. And he uh, he shoots me a message, says, Coach, I'm, I'm down at the field hitting, but I was wondering if you'd be okay if I mowed the, the bullpens for you. <laughs> buddy you can mow yeah. all day long mow. absolutely man mow it <laughs> it's awesome uh i only have one question left and it's one i've i've asked pretty much all the guests that i've had on and i think it's because deep down this is what i'm trying to figure out for my own life i have a, a son he's 15 months old our first baseball season with him you know got canceled because of covid and everything and so i haven't really lived through coaching with him i mean we're doing workouts and stuff but it's just not the same and so I'm just thinking about, okay, when the season finally does start, if and when that happen, you know, happens, and balancing my time as a father and a husband and being dutiful in those duties, but then also being a, a good coach as well. I look at you and you're, you're an amazing family man, at least from everything I can tell and that I've heard. And I see you constantly with pictures of you with your granddaughter. And I know you've, you've lived a life of being a, a good coach, obviously, and a good family guy. How do you balance that? How have you balanced it? What, what tricks or lessons did you learn along the way to be a good dad, a good husband, and still be a good coach? Well, 
I mean, like all things, you coach, you're going to do damage to your marriage no matter what you do. And you just try to do the best you can. And, um, you know, when you're home, you got to be all home. And, man, it's tough, and you got to fake it. you got to play, you know, that, that, that role uh, whenever you can. But uh, I've got uh, three daughters, and, you know, my oldest daughter, uh, they're 30, 27, and 19. And they all grew up coaches' kid. They all went to uh, the school where I coach. And, you know, I, I probably – I probably didn't spend the time with them that I should have. And I look back, you know, and those moments are gone. And, you know, I regret, uh, I regret that I couldn't spend as much time. And as a coach, that's part of the sacrifice. Uh, you know, you're around other kids a lot and it's going to frustrate your wife. Uh, you spend all that time with those other kids, you know, when are you going to spend time with your own kids? So you, you got to learn to steal moments. But with that said, I think all three of my daughters would tell you that they loved being a coach's kid and they loved being able to see me every day. I had all three of my daughters in class and I'd see them in the hall and I knew all their friends and I knew who was good for them and who they needed to stay away from. <laughs> and, you know, and now I have my granddaughter and she's just, you know, the joy of my life. And my daughters, uh, one of them lives in Colorado Springs uh, now she was in Singapore for six years and now she lives in Colorado Springs and the other two live here and they'll come to games and they'll bring my granddaughter. And that's before, after the, as soon as the game's over, you know, they're at the gate, they'll give me a kiss and give me a review of the game. Like, God, your guys suck tonight. You gotta get better dad. Uh, but you know, to see my granddaughter and I think, you know, having my granddaughter, my team will tell you that my granddaughter really calmed me down and you know it's funny uh when she was two she's three now when she was two um i was about to flip out and blow a gasket and one of my senior pitchers put his hand on my shoulder and said hey coach look to your left look at magnolia look at magnolia <laughs> and uh i said i appreciate that josh and he was like yep whatever it takes uh but, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's no special sauce there. If your kids, if you love your kids, they know. And you've got a young son, and I know you have dreams of when he's old enough, he can come to the yard and play in the dirt. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, my my kid, my girls did that. They all learned to drive uh, before they take their driving test. Uh, they learned to uh, operate all the tractors and the mowers, and I'd let them mow and. Uh, they'd drive the gator around the school parking lot while I was working and they'd park it and, you know, learn to back up and, uh, wreck it a couple times. But, you know, there's no special sauce, but if you can steal moments, you got to steal those moments. And when you're with them, you got to be all with them. Yeah. It's funny when I bring him to the field now, he's pretty useless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Runs to the dirt and then sits in it and then tries to eat it. Yeah. And, it's that, tough stuff. That. that might be the cure for COVID, eating dirt. <laughs> it could be eat dirt and drink puddle water. Yeah, build up the immune system. You're good to go. Got to raise them right. <laughs> That's right. Well, I appreciate it. I, I wanted to give you a chance as we kind of round things out, if there's anything maybe we didn't get to that you think might be valuable for, for high school coaches or any parting thoughts that you have. I just, uh, Max, I, I appreciate you having me on and uh, let me share. But I just think, you know, any any sport, 
any uh, any athletic team uh, the secret sauce there to culture to development to chemistry uh, to how you go about it uh, is with my guys um, you know I can't necessarily rush their athletic development I can't take a kid who's throwing 70 miles an hour and get him to throw 80 miles an hour overnight. So that's going to be a slow burn. But what I can do is I can try to rush the maturity. And I demand my guys, you know, my 14-year-olds, if I can get them to act like a 16-year-old, and if I can get an 18-year-old senior to act like he's 25, um, you know, I think I'm ahead of the game. Uh, Mature people, uh, they play mature. And so... Uh, we try to rush maturity and golly, um, I demand attention to detail. I demand their focus and I don't let anything slide. If you're doing something wrong, we're going to just break it down to the, you know, smallest detail. And, um, I, I just think if you rush maturity, if you try to rush maturity, it's a lot easier to get things done. And, if you're rushing maturity, your culture's again, your culture's going to get strong. And in my program, if you're living my culture, I'm going to reward that. If you're mature, I'm going to reward that. If you're not living my culture and you're immature, I'm going to make you extremely uncomfortable. And it, it seems to work for us because, you know, when I was a young coach, I was held hostage a couple of times by you know, a good player, a couple of good players who they knew they were in the lineup. And, and I've gotten to the point now that, you know, uh, we're either going to win or lose with good guys because I'm not going to let anybody hold me hostage ever again. Um, when it comes to how we're going to act and how we're going to behave. And it might be a little over the top. Sometimes my guys don't think so. They just think that's how we do it. But if you're on the outside looking in and it's hard, you know, it, it, it's hard for a freshman parent coming into my program uh, to understand it. And at booster meetings, I've had, you know, like the first booster meeting, I'll say my piece and then I'll turn it over to somebody else and I'll leave and I'll let them say, hey, this is how he does things. This is how it's going to be. So you might as well get used to it because he's not changing. And so, I mean, at the beginning of the year, uh, I give every parent, it's a 17-page outline, like packet of how we do things. I try to overwhelm them with paperwork and communication and make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page. And it's, it's kind of funny. I had a parent say this, and I don't know if it was a compliment or not, but it was a parent, uh, a dad that I, I really, you know, I trust him and I like him and he's a friend of mine. And you got to keep in mind now on this team, Last year's team, the one that just left, uh, combined, I had coached seven of these kids' fathers also. So the dad, I mean, if they wanted to know what the kid wanted to know about me, he just heard stories about me from the dad. And I've never had a player, I don't think, that can't imitate the way I walk, the way I jog, <laughs> the way I talk, what I'm going to say. Uh, I'm originally from California, but I've lived here for so long that every now and then I pop into this bizarre country character and I'll use ain't and y'all, what y'all doing? There ain't no way that's going to work. You know, I pop into this bizarro character, but, um, you know, I had a parent tell me, you know, um, that you've been coaching this town so long and I've been at the same school forever. And 
I, I, he told me this and I'm still not sure what to think. And he said, no, it's a compliment. You know, there are people in this town that don't like me, but they wouldn't have anybody else coach their kid. <laughs> so, you know, it's a parent thing sometimes, as long as the kids, I'm coaching kids, as long as the kids are all about it, then, you know, I don't have a problem with yeah, it took me. Luckily, I've I've been fortunate enough to hear people like you speak and and read from other people that my maturity as a coach has been sped up quite a bit. But man, I tell you, my yeah, my first three years, it was like, no, that kid's good. I can't. He 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 did what in the dugout? Yeah, yeah, but we got to win this game. Like I got to have him in. And oh my gosh, it's been so freeing to just say, no, you know what? I'm going to be here long after that kid's gone. The other team's coaches are going to be here and have to, you know be around me a lot, you know, way after that kid's gone. The other players are, the umpires are like, I'm, <laughs> this is way bigger than this one kid. Absolutely. And it takes, it, it takes a while to get to that moment. But once I did, it's been so freeing of, of not letting talented players who maybe have moments of, of immaturity hold you hostage. Right. And I, I think every kid's got a story and, you know, yeah. you don't know what's going on at home. A lot of times, you don't know what's going on in their head a lot of times. And, uh, I, I, I've become this guy that I don't mind chaos. I don't mind controversy. I don't mind challenging. And if a parent says, you know, I need to talk to you, I'm like, let's go, let's, let's talk about this. And I drag in an assistant principal an AD and an assistant coach. And I drag their kid in and I go, okay, spill it. What do you want to talk about? And you'd be surprised how the tone changes a coach that talks to a parent without somebody else there with him on his side uh, that can mediate if need be, uh, I think you're making a major mistake. I will never talk to a parent unless, you know, I've got a support staff there with me. Not because I think I'm right, but I need somebody there to tell the parent, okay, you've said your piece, walk away. And, you know, I, I can chew on that. And I think what's happening now Max, and this kind of bothers me is there's a lot of good young coaches that get into it. And the first time there is any, any kind of confrontation, they break nervous and they go, I don't want to do it. It's not worth it. I don't mm. want to do this. Yep. And I think, you know, I would tell young coaches and I have this thing where, you know, like I told you, when I started coaching, I was by myself and I sat on a bucket during one game and I was just had my arms crossed. And I didn't have anybody to talk to. And I thought, man, if I ever get in a position where I can help a young coach, if I make it through the other side, you know, I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to help that guy. And I, I just hate it when I see good young baseball guys who, you know, they're like, I, I don't have to put up with this. And they walk away. And I'm afraid we're getting to a point in our society where coaches, they, they will walk away. And I, I've made up my mind, man. I, I'm going to leave as many fingerprints on the game of baseball as I possibly can. And I'm going to talk to everybody, anybody that thinks, you know, they need something from me. Uh, if you think you need something from me, I'm, I'm honored. And I'm going to do all I can to share anything I've learned. Um, you know, it's like you said at the beginning of this broadcast. Um, I think baseball coaches are the most open guys on the planet. We tell each other everything we're going to do. Uh, how we do it, we'll draw it on a napkin. You know, I've watched football coaches draw <laughs> plays on a napkin and pick the napkin up, wad it up, and put it in their pocket. You know, whereas a baseball guy will tell you every he's excited. This works for me. It might work for you. He's excited about that. 
And, you know, I love, I love being a baseball coach. I love baseball guys that get it. Uh, you know, there, there's just too many jerks in the world to mess around, but 99% of baseball coaches, you know, they're, they're not that. And, you know, I, I want to be around those guys. It's a great lesson. And it's, it's true. I think, and I said it, so obviously I believe it, but, uh, that baseball coaches tend to be the most willing to just give, like you said, give everything away. There aren't really any secrets. If you ask a baseball coach, he'll give you everything that he has that he's learned his whole career doing keeping secrets or thinking you have some, you know, magical thing that only your players deserve right. is oh. I think the really wrong way to go about it. We're, we're in the business of helping kids. And if you have something that can help kids, that shouldn't just be the kids that are fortunate enough to be coached by you. That, a thousand, what you just said, you know, it's not about us. And there's a lot of people out there, they think it's about them and they get caught up in ego. And, you know, I, I've got an ego, you've got an ego, and I want my team, but I want my team to do well. And it's not about me. And, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to work with USA Baseball. This will be my 14th year coming up. And I've learned so many things from so many great players and had great conversations with guys that are in the big leagues now that are just stellar guys. And I've come in contact with so many coaches um, who, I, before social media, you know, it can be a bad thing, but before social media, I did not realize, like, honestly, Max, if it wasn't for Twitter, you and I would have never, like, we've never done this. So I would have been a horrible coach without Twitter, to be uh, honest with you. I've learned so much from other guys that I've met through Twitter, no literally. Doubt, no doubt. And, you know, I've learned more baseball standing in a hallway at a convention than a lot of guys, you know, reading 5,000 books, whatever learned, you know, just having conversations. And what I found is um, baseball coaches are the closest thing to human of any coach. Uh, they're right there. Uh, I think it's cool that baseball coaches wear a uniform like their players. It's the only sport that does that. Um, anymore, we, we have large rosters. Uh, we can't use the same quarterback every game. we got to put another quarterback on the mound every game. So there's a lot of strategy involved. Uh, you got to figure out what works for your guys best. You know, you know, football coaches, I know football coaches and they're going to run their system no matter who their players are. Can you imagine if we did that? Yeah, we're going to be, <laughs> they wouldn't work very good. We're going to be, uh, we're going to steal a lot of bases and you know, you put nine bread trucks out there. That Slug up for space. Exactly. Well, Butch, I appreciate you coming on. It's, uh, like I said, before we, before we jumped on the air, uh, or maybe even when we were on it, I, I sent you a message when I, I got your new Twitter account, sent you a message and you responded within a couple minutes and you're like, yeah, what time? Let's do it. And here we are close to midnight, your time in Tennessee, and we're still going. So I really appreciate you coming on. I'll, I'll let you hop away now and, and go to bed and get ready for school tomorrow. No doubt. And Max, guys like you who are doing stuff like this, uh, I don't even think, I, I mean, you probably got into this uh, for peace of mind you know, to, to kind of chat it up and for your peace of mind, uh, and to learn and things like that. But I don't think you realize the service you're doing for the people that listen. And especially in this time with COVID where, you know, nine months ago, I didn't even know what zoom was. I thought it was get <laughs> close. Get if you said you want to zoom, I'd say, get off of me. But you know, I've zoomed and with some <laughs> of the best coaches in the country and made contacts and, uh, guys like you who do things like this, you know, you're worth your weight in gold and you're growing our game. And, you know, we've never met in person. 
uh, but you're a life lifelong friend of mine now because, golly, man, you're putting fingerprints on the game, and that's what it's all about. I appreciate that. Thanks, Butch. Loved having you on. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the High School Coaches Club by going to our website, www.highschoolcoachesclub.com. In addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at HS Coaches Club. Coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes, too. So uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, If you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, If you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, Lastly, you can always reach out to me personally, and this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, On Twitter, uh, my handle is at Mr. Max Price. So, hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, Honored that you tuned in and and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, So thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.